0: Hey everybody, welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Trevor, this is Mark. How are you feeling today, Mark?
1: Feeling a l- little bit like a hypocrite, a little guilty, because uh, it's hmm. been hard to get reading done with the quarantine. But uh, I feeling?
0: know, this is bizarre. I feel the same way, where it's like I'm not, <laughs> I thought I was supposed to be burning through, you know. Um, I said I feel like the busiest man in the apocalypse, so I guess our things kind of, they collide. I feel busy, I feel like I'm not like, you know... The fantasy of the quarantine was like, yeah, I'm going to be curled up next to a roaring fire, ripping through thousands of pages. And for (laughs) some reason, surviving the end of society has not been as productive as all that.
1: Yeah. What do you I mean, I I get the same thing. Like, I've just been busy with work and stuff and, you know, Mm -hmm. having your work set up working from home, you know, it's like you can't really get away from it. Yeah, uh, a lot of people are talking idea. about how, you
0: know, overtime, you know, should should overtime work from home should definitely be a thing because you just, you can't, it's hard to leave that headspace. But also just like, I mean, I feel like some of my other free time has been funneled into, you know, other bizarre activities like gearing up to go to the grocery store. And then when you get home from the grocery store, washing all your groceries <laughs> yeah, it's a whole process now. You
1: take everything out of the box, like. Yep, I'm taking all the box boxes
0: out. Yeah, we're like doing everything. Um, yeah, so apparently, Not reading. yeah, apparently <laughs> look, everything but reading, everything but reading.
1: Yeah, so I yeah I fe- I felt the same way. I was like I was you know had this big kind of list in my head. You're gonna get through. It's like uh, sort of like vacation. Sometimes you do that, but mm-hmm. we are still reading a book every rough week <laughs> <laughs> roughly every week but yeah. so so i figured for the intro i would just talk about yeah what what have you been doing outside of reading you know because it's very easy i i know a lot of people are doing this i'm doing this too you know you're when you do have that free time you're you know just trying to relax a little bit binge through some tv play some mm-hmm. video games do been doing a lot of cooking yep what are everybody you been up to?
0: everybody's cooking up um We do a fair amount of cooking anyway, but my wife and I, uh, I would say one of the things that I will remember this quarantine for is that we watched, we were already part of the way through it when this whole thing started, but we
1: watched, uh, we have now officially seen everything that has to do with Twin Peaks. (laughs) That's, that's amazing. I was actually, I'm doing the same thing right now. Uh, Really? What part are you at? Yeah. I started watching the original on, uh, Mm -hmm on uh, netflix because i wanted to i i have the blu-rays for the return like the series a few years ago Mm -hmm. and i so i watched that a couple years ago when it came out or whatever but i wanted to Mm rewatch it but i wanted to watch the original first So i'm like right on the end of season two no the beginning of season two i think the
0: beginning of season two okay yeah stick with it season two is really rough um they definitely ordered you know dozens of episodes more than lynch wanted to fulfill so there's some yeah there's some weird stuff in there but you know we did everything chronological order so first season we were already had seen first season so we watched like a majority of second season and then you have to watch the movie fire walk with me yeah i don't like the movie the movie sucks but yeah i'm telling <laughs> you i'm telling you for the return to refresh
1: yourself with the movie okay i'll have to do that then uh, because you I, no, know, even stone even is
0: unturned.
1: Yeah, even the the episodes that maybe don't hit as much, or if it's just like kooky or whatever, the music still carries me through it. Like the oh, music absolutely. in that show is so awesome. Boom! Yeah,
0: boom, boom. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a Twin Peaks corner. I can't believe you're also trying to catch up on that because we literally yeah. just finished everything. That's
1: amazing. That's that same wavelength thing. We were thinking, mm-hmm. you know, this suits
0: it. Perfect. Yeah, definitely. There's a, that's something that's great, to, and it also. In a weird way, Twin Peaks is also its own world. So you're oh, yeah. kind of like, you know, we're in this strange time, Twilight Zone style, so it feels like Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks was definitely a good choice.
1: I saw something where uh what's his name? Angelo Badalamenti, like the yep. composer He's for exactly. that show. He someone like presented to him the fact that like if you look at the MIDI for the for like Laura's theme, it's mm-hmm. two crescendos, so it's like two it's Twin Peaks, like it, even in the structure of the song. Oh, nice. And he was blown away. <laughs> blown away. But, um, so yeah. many different universes to
0: explore within Twin Peaks.
1: So Yeah, so that's crazy. What else have you been up to?
0: Um, I've been doing uh, a little bit of online gaming with friends, you know, just connecting through the microphone and then gaming and stuff like that. I'd also say that I've been saving money more effectively than I ever have before, <laughs> um, with the quarantine, like no going out, no eating at restaurants, no temptation to do anything other than, you know, what is strictly necessary has been an excerpt. It's kind of like one of those things where you're looking back and just saying like, wow, how much did I used to spend?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, you can still, uh, you can still do some online shopping. Those, mm. those digital purchases and all definitely that stuff. and
0: have, a few of those have happened a few of those have yeah. slipped um, but by and large less money spent on entertainment um, yeah i mean i've been reading the news but then ceremoniously trying to avoid the news because it's too fucked up so <laughs> i feel like the more on days that i engage with the news more than other days i feel worse if i Definitely. am engaging too much so uh yeah trying to get those small town vibes ignore the world
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. you you watch you follow the whatever johns hopkins like COVID 19 yeah. map and then you need a whole a whole tube of pringles <laughs> or yeah yeah like i
0: can't yeah the johns hopkins map is like that thing is gonna be you know
1: it's bright red dude. it fucking yeah, glows
0: burned into people's dreams have you ever eaten any... Gene
1: Wolf though for those Pringles? Gene Wolf, yeah. Have you this had any something I actually did.
0: Have you had any dreams yet involving this
1: crazy virus? Like I'll have I'll have dreams where it's like,
0: oh, I'm sick and then everyone like
1: wants to avoid me. Uh, no dreams like that. I am wondering like cuz I still don't know anyone that's gotten sick. Like it's still mm-hmm. like, you know, however yeah. many degrees of separation away. Like I still don't know anyone in my circle or even Mm-hmm. tangentially that's gotten sick yet so i don't know nothing but, nothing hasn't been affecting me that much as far as
0: but i'm sure you know i'm sure you know several people who have like everyone in the world is speculating like i was sick three months ago maybe i already had it yeah, yeah <laughs> it's like, i don't think so
1: <laughs> i've heard a lot of that i i didn't get sick at all this winter so i i, don't, I know it didn't come across my path hmm. invincible mark yeah
0: yeah i rarely get sick i've never had the normal flu so uh, i think i'll be in for a world of hurt if this one oh comes, comes around yeah never the normal
1: the flu, flu is uh is pretty bad <laughs> i've yeah. had the flu before
0: no mean me never had it nice
1: um but yeah quarantine quarantine's got me doing weird shit around the house like you're in a few rooms for way too long mm-hmm. like it i just you know look around like oh my those curtains are a little long or whatever like making like (laughs) mental notes like i'm gonna hem these things or i i took down like the the light fixture in my bathroom that has a fan in it and just like you know ran it wash it in the sink or whatever like Mm -hmm. this is something i've never like thought to do otherwise unless i'm exactly yeah i mean everybody 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 everybody's
0: homes are becoming way more like we have a little like neighborhood near us that's like cute and it's like just a good place to walk um california is very hilly so this one neighborhood is just like a flat you know walk and as you walk through this neighborhood that's near us it's like everybody's house is immaculate everyone is like taking care (laughs) of their lawns like there's tons of garage doors open like just spring cleaning like the entire garage like trying to organize everything like everyone's little I feel like there's probably two like paths of people out there where it's like some people are like organizing and cleaning the shit out of their houses. And then other people are like letting it go completely, <laughs> becoming like a complete like trash pile. Yeah. But the yep, people who are that. the people who are letting it go aren't exactly bragging about it. So you're not really hearing about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have noticed the uh, the bike path near my house is packed with people every day, like more so mm-hmm. than normal. You know, it's like people are getting out, you know, they're desperate to get out of the house, <laughs> myself included, just to take like a bike ride and shit like that. I'm uh, pissed because I'm I'm missing out on some concerts right now. I had mm. this, this month, I had like some tickets for some shows and I think I went to the last concert in the country, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> at least the last in New England. It was March 11th. It was that Wednesday, like right before things got shut down.
0: Right. March eleventh. Okay. Yeah,
1: I think it was it was that Thursday that they were like, yeah, no, uh, no public gatherings, no, nothing mm-hmm. like that. So, pretty sure I saw the last show that will ever. Do. Show. What was that? That was Steve Hackett, the uh, Genesis guitarist. He put on a great show in Northampton.
0: Northampton, nice.
1: Well, and that I, I was thinking like, oh, you know, that was the like that was when things were still ramping up, and you're like, oh, it might have been risky to go to that show, but. Mm-hmm. You know nothing came out of it
0: yeah it has been two weeks your gestation period is yeah. is over <sighs> and we don't know how many weeks there are to go
1: yeah i don't know you you said you've been gaming though i was at a uh i was at a crossroads knowing i was gonna be home for a while I was i was either gonna get the new doom game mm. you know super brutal shooter <laughs> or uh Animal Crossing, which is like the complete opposite, <laughs> and I went with Animal Crossing, which has been a good choice. It's very therapeutic. Yeah,
0: I think that the developers of Animal Crossing were very—they uh, didn't see this coming because it's obviously been in the works for like a few years. Yeah. But then the entire world gets shut down, and everyone wants to just be a cute little animal doing like farm <laughs> farm
1: chores and like no. forget about the virus. They nailed the timing. Yeah. The yeah. Unintentional perfect landing yeah they probably had no idea um yeah the destiny of that game it rules though yeah just running around collecting (laughs) shells and chopping down trees and stuff it's great my island is you know coming together (laughs) (laughs) i see all all these people are just like put so much time into it though it's um i'm not at that but (laughs) well you're not mine, mine does have a personal touch
0: who knows who knows you're you're not the quarantine's not over yet, so don't bad mouth people's extremely advanced islands, especially yeah. people who are more yeah. stuck inside like there are people where working, it's like yeah if I wasn't not, working yeah should not would be crazy not working would be scary, but also just like you know I you know I used to live in New York and it's like I don't live there anymore sort of glad of that fact because I can imagine some of my past apartments and it's like if i was just only in that apartment it would be horrifying
1: (laughs) yeah just stuck
0: yeah uh which is the the case for a lot of people so pretty crazy
1: yeah i'm definitely feeling fortunate to you know have a job continue to work remote job yeah so yeah nothing nothing is you know don't want to take that for granted Mm -hmm. but so because of all this been having some trouble breeding you know there's a lot of things getting in the way. What do you think can change that? <laughs> it was a struggle. It was a struggle this week. I'll get to it in my report, but...
0: Um, how what can you think? change your habits during the quarantine to read more? Um, I think it's all just about going for the gold. I think it's about putting yourself in the mindset of thinking about, uh, you know... Once the quarantine is over, how are you gonna feel about how you spent it, kind of thing? Maybe just like, I don't know. I don't think reading should be a guilt thing. I think you just have to go with the flow, and if it starts to happen, then it starts to happen.
1: Yeah, I've seen a lot of different uh, a lot of different takes on this. Whether you should try and be productive throughout all this and yeah there's a, a lot of, of that are like don't put any pressure on you, you know you're we're just yeah. we're just getting through this and there's a lot of know.
0: productiveness shaming going shaming on out yeah there. yeah yeah what's that next big project that you never had time for
1: <laughs> it's like dude stop i'm wearing gloves to the laundromat <laughs> i have i have converted my living room to like i don't, I have a small apartment but i've converted my living room to like a full-on gym i, I brought all my like old home gym equipment out of storage and it's like nice it i don't have the room was not made for this but I'm, I'm using it this way you're gonna
0: be one of those people where it's like you set up the whole apartment and then it's like the weight can't handle it and it, you like falls through the floor i'm i'm
1: legitimately worried about that like I, i'll send you a picture of my closet i have i have uh probably at least 500 pounds of weights in there Dude, I mean, there like that that <laughs> happens more. in uh,
0: that happens in uh, Inherent Vice, the pension book. The, remember, there's like that guy who has a waterbed, and when the building is on fire, it, like it burns through the floor and then falls into the fire. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's also famous. There's like some famous architecture story about how a librarian builds this like beautiful library, but then he didn't like, he didn't calculate the weight of the books. That's in that show, How I Met Your Mother.
1: Oh, and it collapsed.
0: Yeah, so like there was some famous architect who built a beautiful library, and then he didn't like, he didn't think about how the books in like on every floor are going to weigh like thousands and thousands of pounds. (laughs) So it just sagged and like completely like ruined itself over a short period of time.
1: Okay, well if I do anything heavy, I'll keep it towards the perimeter. Yeah, I'm keep it. On I you. got everything near near the foundation. I'm on the ground floor too. Ground floor. <laughs> all right. So all right, I'm all That's right. Fine. So no, you're just gonna too, fall into the basement. Not too far to go. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Cool. But no, it's crazy. I got a uh, whole setup here. It looks weird, <laughs> but I can I can I can hide everything in the closet. But it doesn't matter anymore. No one, no one's coming over. <laughs> no one's coming over. Yeah. Uh, you can you can be
0: you know the nest of your own design.
1: Yeah, I'm also growing a quarantine beard, which is oh, against, nice. against against the CDC.
0: CDC recommendations.
1: Yeah, but um I'm not I'm not going out anymore, so no problem. I I think. All right. Well, I'll be all right. Make sure I, I, that I, cloth mask
0: stays snug. Yeah, I'll
1: cover it with a mask, too. <laughs>
0: cool all right well this is officially episode 52 so this is 52 weeks now um this is like an official year we should have reached this milestone at the beginning of yeah the beginning of 2020 but since we slacked off more than once or twice then this is the official 52 a year of shitty
1: book reports
0: um
1: no gathered strength not slacked off
0: right when we gathered strength um (laughs) from skipping episodes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to dive right into it. 52, uh, even number means I go first. And um, I got, I'm i starting my report this week by just going all out on the idea that I'm going to ask you a ton of questions before I ever even get to the title of the book. So are you ready? Yeah, I like that. Okay, so I, I call this Mark style because I think you originated this style of like starting with a question and then working backwards from there. Um, First, I'd like to have a little conversation just around, like, I think that there's different, like, impressions that you get when you're going farther and farther back in time towards how you're going to start reading a book. Like, I would say, you know, on a scale, like, on a, like, kind of like a shifting scale, if there's a book from 2019 or 2020, I would be less intimidated than one from, like you know 1820 would you say the same 19 yeah i think it scales back yeah so what would be your my my number one question is what would be your reservations going into a novel written in
1: 1837 um uh arcane language mm-hmm. and maybe overly proper right writing style yeah yeah that thing
0: yeah that would be the same with me too it's like i'm expecting to have to like concentrate really hard or like oh there's gonna be like all these characters and you know i have to like know everything or else i'm gonna miss something kind of stuff like that right
1: yeah that's definitely part of it
0: yeah um okay on to the next question these will all come (laughs) back into focus uh when i finally get to my report but these will be kind of rapid fire you can just say yes or no Uh, have you ever felt like the big fish in a small pond? So kind of just like everyone around you, you, you know, you're sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're more skilled or kind of more like, or maybe people just don't even have the same interests as you. So you're kind of like in a, in a realm of your own. And did you ever feel like you got thrown into a bigger pond? This is like a very common thing. Like when you go to college, you're like, wow, there's like tons of good students.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That, that, that always happens when you enter somewhere new.
0: Yeah, entering somewhere new and like that humbling feeling, you know, of getting, you know, smacked back down into reality. Yeah. Um, have you ever thought you could make a work of genius if you just had more money or more time?
1: Uh, kind of wavered on that. <laughs> more time. It's never been about money, I don't know. It's think. never been about It's been money. more about time, for sure. Okay. Uh, have you ever taken
0: the long way home just to clear your head? yeah, I definitely do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, me too. And have you ever felt you had to sacrifice your personal life for your professional success? Yeah or, all the time. or, or your ambitions. <laughs> so you know, going down one road or another road, am I gonna am I gonna do this or am I gonna do that? Yeah, um, yeah. These are all pretty universal questions, wouldn't you say? Kind of like mm-hmm. universal human questions wondering about life. Um, so basically the novel that I'm covering today, is kind of encompasses everything that we just talked about not only did i have like i didn't have that much time to read with all this crazy quarantine stuff going on also addressing all those questions that i just brought up and also the reservations about reading something from 1837 uh, it all goes back into what i spent my time this week reading lost illusions by balzac 1837. so what do you know about balzac
1: really not that he has a funny name at all. yeah i know <laughs> that i i you see the reference a lot i have not read anything by him right
0: so me neither he, he's kind of one
1: play plays or philosophy or
0: no it, he's he's novels, novels? he's okay. novels he's like he's our hero you know like novels like 100 he kind of like was um somebody who was like a champion of the form um
1: that's a bold choice then
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because probably in his day, there was probably a lot of different ways to make money. And that's actually something that goes along with the story of him. Um, But yeah, I didn't know much about Balzac either. He's kind of just that person. Hilarious name. First time you hear him in high school, you're like, that's ridiculous. I'm probably not going (laughs) to be reading him ever. Um, but then you kind of come back around because he has been so influential. His name, I looked it up on YouTube how to pronounce it. I'm only going to say this once because I know I'm butchering it for every French speaker that randomly listens to us. But oh, Honoré de Balzac. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, Honoré. Well, it's like honor. It looks to us, oh. it would look like Honoré or Honor de Balzac. Oh, yeah, uh, Balzac. But I'll just say Balzac from now on. Um, so yeah, the way that I kind of like knew eventually that I would be taking Balzac more seriously than his hilarious name is that, uh, you know, a lot of people who I've already talked about about the podcast on the podcast multiple times have been ridiculously influential of him, Proust, massive Balzac fan. Emile Zola massive Balzac fan and he's kind of like as far as big names go in terms of like generations of writers he is like the one right before those guys that I really love those French writers you know Zola and Proust so um, Balzac is this guy I'll talk about him a little bit but I'll also talk about how I read Lost Illusions because this is also going to kind of give some spoilers for the future of my covering of the podcast okay. but but it's a it's a good one um so balzac was this guy who he's like very famous for being one of those authors that was like a writing machine um He published 90 novels of which he was like kind of one of the original like OG guys to do the Stephen King thing and tie them all together. He kind of decided like early on. No, not like not really actually early on. It was like somewhere like midpoint or maybe even a little bit further on in his career when he was like, oh, actually, what I've been writing is called The Human Comedy, um, kind of named after Dante's Divine Comedy, but his is The Human Comedy. And it's 90 novels that all connect to each other in various ways. And it's all about post-Napoleon France. Wow. <laughs> so basically, he...
1: That's, that's like Buckethead. You know the guitarist no, yeah, Buck- yeah, yeah, yeah. Bucket yeah, Buckethead? Yeah, Buckethead. Yeah, put out like 200 albums a 200 year. 200 albums, yeah. He's in
0: like 90 <laughs> bands or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Hellhammer as well. Drummer Hellhammer. So it's sort of like... He's that guy where it's like, uh, what's this dude's deal? Part of the biography of his life is that he was actually like really unsuccessful in business and also in writing for a while. But then once he started to perfect his craft and get like into it, he had like gotten all these debts like he had like a lot of debtors who like he was in debt to a lot of people so then he was like okay what i have to do to live because the only thing i've ever done successfully is write. he tries to go into business and he fails like multiple times so the only thing that ever made him money during his lifetime was writing so he was like i'm gonna pound a ton of coffee and just be a writing fiend
1: wait i think i've heard about this guy as far as his coffee habits yes maybe i might be thinking of voltaire I think they might have had the same habits. Well, yeah, they had some similar habits. But yeah, yeah.
0: Balzac actually wrote an essay called The Pleasures and Pains of, Co- of Coffee. <laughs> the Pains. No, yeah, because he actually talks in The Pleasures and Pains of Coffee that sometimes he would pound coffee so hard that he would get like the sweats. And like it was like a drug, like where he yeah. was like – he. But the, I read this whole essay online too that was pretty good about uh, – it was from um, – I don't know. I don't even know the name of this blog, the airship daily. And uh, basically they were saying like some people say that he drank 50 cups of coffee a day, but it's different from like he was drinking those little like French espressos, you know,
1: Well, that's more caffeine
0: that well, I know but yeah but he was basically like but in the the pleasures and pains of coffee he talks about like yeah you can do like about this much before you start to lose your shit <laughs> and like and like he would stay up all night like drinking coffee and writing these books so that in itself is like that's kind of the quarantine fantasy right where it's like he's he's got this mythic about him that like if you're a writer or an author or a reader then you then you like worship his dedication you know like he wrote 90 novels while he locked himself Himself in his room and went ham you know on on these crazy stories um
1: did but you he know ever live anything cool though you yeah know, did, you, did you read yeah. about his life did he a have little experience? bit
0: yeah i mean he's like one of those guys where it's like i don't you don't really fully know what this means but it's like in french society he was accepted to this person's salon and like this person you know oh. whatever all <laughs> these different like people so he was kind of like a party guy And like like a socialite kind of guy, but also just yeah addicted to making money so that he wouldn't die or whatever. Uh, He was a ladies' man too. People say that that he was like often like trying to like all these different affairs, all these different women, and eventually got he died the same year he got married, which is pretty hilarious. Um,
1: But yeah, so how old? Do you know how old he was? Uh, co- that, drinking that much coffee has got to be really bad for you.
0: I do not know how old he was. Let me see a quick Wikipedia search. He died at 51. So, okay. yeah, he died that's, pretty pretty early. Um,
1: for back then, though, that's not bad.
0: It's not bad, but I've actually heard that those statistics about average age from back then are really skewed because of infant mortality like oh, there was okay. still there was still such a thing sense. as getting old you could like basically people who lived into their twenties would like be like maybe lived old age but anyway um so let's get into lost illusions itself because the way that I arrived at this book was not only always wanting to get into Balzac because a lot of French writers really revere him, but an even more practical way that I got into this book is that my birthday this past January, my mom got me a Barnes and Noble gift card and I haven't physically been to a Barnes and Noble in God knows how long, you know, like, you know, those big chain bookstores are kind of dwindling. Um, to the online shopping stuff. So obviously I used this Barnes and Noble gift card online and they had a deal going on where you could, you know, buy one of their Barnes and Noble classics and get the other one for half off. So I was like the most effective way, the most bookage that I can get (laughs) with this gift card is to do like the classics route. And I had always never known where to start with Balzac because it's too intimidating. You know what I mean? Like when I tell you like he was this epic dude who wrote 90 books that all connect together, you're like, I don't know where to start. If you start at the first one, is that really going to be worth it? At that point, he wasn't even thinking about connecting them all. So it's like, does that really like count? Um, So I go on to Barnes and Noble and one of the most popular classics on sale, you know, you can filter by like how popular, you know, the most popular classics and, um, you know, once you get past like Alice in Wonderland which everyone buys and stuff like that it was Lost Illusions was the most popular Balzac for sale so i was like okay this is it this is destiny i'm getting Lost Illusions now i have to disclose here that the reason why i said that there there might be some spoilers in how i'm going to cover things on the podcast is that i originally researched and this goes back to our conversation about not getting as much reading done as you thought you would during the <laughs> quarantine I researched that originally the edition that I hold in my hand, that is the Barnes & Noble Lost Illusions All Bound in One Book, was actually originally published as a trilogy. So that what I have done this week, and I commit to continue to do throughout the rest of the podcast, is that I read part one called The Two Poets, which is about 150 pages into a 600-page single bound book. But, that's how it originally came out and they were separated by like like two years when it first came out in Paris. It was like the first part came out, everyone was flipping out about it, then the second part and the third part came out and it was like a trilogy. So I thought, I'll just read the first one. Okay. Um, So yeah, all those questions that I asked you, you know, it doesn't really count for anything if you're a coffee-addicted freak writing books that suck. But the thing—the thing that changes about Balzac is that he writes books that are ridiculously good. So the thing that is interesting—I think—I mean, yeah, saying ridiculously good, maybe a little bit like. I mean, I was addicted to enough to read this like pretty quickly, especially something from 1837. I would say that he definitely breaks those stereotypes. It's not intimidating to read him at all. You're very rarely confused. And especially these Barnes and Noble editions, I was actually really impressed with the level of noting in there that like could help me understand different things. But I wasn't really confused. There was like one party in the two poets, this first part, this first chunk, where there was like kind of too many people, but it didn't really matter. many people there were because it was like he described all these people in detail but then they don't really like exactly come back again so that part was probably the most intimidating everything else um lost illusions is the main character who i can discern so far is the main character is this guy lucian who he lives in like the suburbs he does they don't live in paris it's like these provincial towns that are like kind of like out in france like in the countryside And Lucian is this poet who has a best friend, David, and a family. And Lucian is kind of like an idiot, but he is a handsome guy who thinks himself as a poet and can impress people, even though his poetry is like kind of shitty, just by like his charm and everything. And he charms one of the local like ladies, you know, somebody who's not really necessarily like one of the you know, lords and ladies of Paris or whatever, but she's like a, you know, high up in the suburbs, you know, there's like this kind of like a caste system and there's people who are just like the work people. They work in print shops. His best friend, David works in a print shop um, that he inherited from his father. But then Lucian starts going to these like salons where it's like, Oh, these fancy people are starting to listen to his poetry. But really he just starts to be like, sort of, it's sort of like dramatic because of this, woman who is you know in high society she brings lucian into her salon to be like almost like controversial like haha look at me i can just pick anyone up from the street and you know make him into something and then he gets thrust into this world of like drama and politics just because he's like a good-looking moron um (laughs) So it's all these things like basically what Balzac I found what he is like insanely good at is that he goes through like long descriptions of characters and how and like what they're thinking and feeling. But then once they get into conversations, the scenes are actually really good because it feels like he never he always lets you know exactly what's happening on every side of a conversation. So it's like when Madame de Bargaton or whatever, all these horrible like French names you know what she's thinking and feeling, which is completely different from what Lucian is feeling, which is completely different from what this other guy, this other, you know, Lord is thinking. So it's all very like, he said, she said, she felt, he felt, but only you know everything. So it's very like intriguing. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the two poets, the first part, I mean, it's funny how it that became like, its own standalone novel because I can definitely tell like at this point Balzac is just basically like he knows he's going to continue so he gets to the end of a book and they publish it in Paris in 1837 but it's like kind of like guarantee that there's going to be you know a continuation so the book ends kind of like with Lucian basically being like oh my god I started going to all these salons and now I'm going to scab off my family and be a piece of shit and borrow a bunch of money so I can follow this rich lady to Paris who supposedly loves me and with all those questions that I just asked you about being like a small fish in a big pond, how do you think, I, I like am predicting that it's not going to work out super well for him yeah. <laughs> because the first part is kind of like everything is sort of working out, even though he doesn't have as much money as he wishes he had to complete his works of genius. Um, but, you know, I think he's going to get thrown into this giant, like, you know, the mass of intellectuals that is Paris and it's like not exactly going to go, you know, amazingly his way. Um, but the cool thing about Balzac is like everything that I just asked you, like, have you ever taken the long way home? Have you ever done this? Have you ever done that? He usually is. He's extremely talented at like whipping off these like little sayings. Like I had, I underlined this and sent it to to a friend. But this is, um, you know, David is ex- his best friend is explaining to uh, Lucian's sister um you know that genius only comes with money or time so he says the slow execution of works of genius requires either the possession of a considerable fortune or the sublime cynicism of a life of poverty so he's always like whipping off little sayings like that where it's like okay you can definitely like put that you know in some sort of, you know, like on a t-shirt or like on like a poster or a postcard where it's like, it's just the perfect way to say something. Um, He does that all the time. Like basically every few pages is just something. I'm just flipping through my book here. Um, You know, there's a long thing about personal sacrifice to gain success. That one's probably too long to read. Um, Where's that one? Oh, also another thing that, like, made me, like, launch totally forward into this book is that, like, on the third page, he references Francois Rabelais and Pantagruel. Mm-hmm. He's, like, talking about how I got, like, David's father was, like, a drunk or whatever. And he was, like, he indulged in the habits that that master of Pantagruel indulged in. And the note from Barnes & Noble was, like, Francois Rabelais was a massive drinker. And I was, like, yeah, <laughs> this guy is awesome. Um Here's one here's like a good like sentence that just snapped off on page 26. He's talking about how if you are an intellectual or you're kind of like more empathetic then you see more the world you you sometimes see the world more negatively. So just a quick sentence, one of the trials to which great intellects are subjected is to be forced to know all things evil as well as good, vice as well as virtue. Um you know, just little sayings like that is like, oh, he's just like such a good writer with all these little like nuggets of knowledge. Um, another thing that he says what I thought was really cool, philosophers have recorded that the habits of youth are wont to return with added strength in old age. So basically like when you were, you know, drinking and partying when you were younger or had these bad habits, then you get older and it's like comes back like twice as hard. Um Another fraction of a sentence on page seven that I thought was really good was he's basically talking about how when you're no longer poor, you start to just like take advantage of everything. So just in a few words, he says, avarice begins where poverty ends. So it's like basically like right when you're done being like poor, you're definitely going to be like taking advantage of everything and just being like the worst. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so Avarice begins where poverty ends and just all these little like nuggets of things where it's like it's one of those things where, you know, what you said at the beginning, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to relay. There's going to be all this flowery language or whatever. But really, it's like all these universal truths that he was really good at recognizing and none of them have to do with being published in 1837. Like, you know, just cool passages about stuff. One thing that I thought was really funny in the book, in this first two poets part was that um, Lucian's best friend David is in love with his sister Eve. A lot of it is very archetypal, by the way. It's like there's like this young, handsome poet and he falls in love with this lady who brings him to Paris. But his best friend is actually like a better poet than he is, but has less money and loves his (laughs) and loves his sister. So like all these like weird, like funny little things, very archetypal dueling um, poets yeah i guess you could, that could get on your nerves but anyway <laughs> they're not really doing dueling poets they're actually best friends and lucian takes advantage of david's generosity which i'm sure will come back to bite him in the
1: ass in the end um but what are the what are the second and third books called can you glean anything from those oh Is yeah like, yeah um my my downfall or something? No, no there's
0: there's not allusion. my downfall, but you can you can definitely get something from from the names of those parts. The first one's called the two poets. The second one is a great man from the provinces in Paris, which is probably a satirical, like allusion to like oh Lucian is this great man from the provinces, but he's in Paris, so he's going to get like destroyed. And then part three is an inventor's tribulations. So. I don't know what part three is going to mean another thing that's woven into the hit to this book which is really kind of cool um I found that I could understand there's like a lot of like the history of printing and printmaking in this he like kind of like got weirdly obsessed I think with that industry so David's father like he he inherits like a printing press from him and there's all these like developments in the term in the time of like you know Printing press. And what's a really funny scene was that when David and Eve they're like, I love you, let's get married, blah blah blah. And then David launches into like a three-page diatribe about the history of printing and printmaking. (laughs) He's like, I love you so much, but I'll tell you about our future and how I know that Chinese paper was made from bamboo. And he like talks for like three pages about paper, and you're like, What the fuck? Like Balzac was like obsessed with like the printing industry trying to inject it into this into this novel. Um, but I think it's awesome. The two poets was really good. I'm already a little bit into a man of the pro, a great man of the provinces in Paris. And I'm going to report this, like how it came out in 1837. So get ready for the two other chunks. We'll see how dedicated I am to reading, because if I'm dedicated enough to do it in the next episode, then I will. But this second, but this second part is the longest one. I think I have like 300 pages to read or something. So... We'll see. Another really cool thing. I'm I'm gonna wrap up here with my one star review. But another really cool thing is that this Barnes and Noble edition is way cooler. Like there's so much research in it that I don't know why, but I did was wasn't expecting that much out of a Barnes and Noble edition, and it has really cool stuff. Like in the back, there are direct quotes from Zola. Proust and Victor Hugo specifically about how lost illusions are awesome and things that they wrote to their friends or reviews and everything like that. While these famous authors being like Balzac is the man. Um, so they did some of my research for me, which hopefully I can read those, you know, once I get to the end because they seem a little bit spoilery sometimes. So I don't want to read too much into them. Okay. Um, but I'll just launch one of my one star review. I've been talking too much about Balzac, but obviously I'm, I'm an enthusiast of his. He's, he's really cool. I'll say my one star review. I did a bit of calculation. There was only 135 one star reviews out of 8,227, which is 1.6% of people giving it a one star review. So obviously it's pretty relatable. Pretty pretty relatable. But Martin from Goodreads says the only thing I lost were the illusions that this would be a good book. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> Balzac is so praised, so fond over, so butt-lickingly lionized that you take the quality of his work as a fait accompli. Were that it were so. From the first few sentences, I could tell this would be a hard slog, and I fell into that glassed-over literary coma one falls into when one must read a massive work against one's own conscious warnings because you're committed to a project." I um, will guess I'll say Balzac is my second project from the quarantine other than Twin Peaks, and uh, we'll see how well it goes. Nice.
1: Well, that sounds awesome. I've been curious about those uh, Barnes & Noble editions. Of, like, they're more than just a reprinting, but that, that sounds great. Mm. Got some kind of background and other stuff. Some annotations. So, yeah, that sounds good. i um, interested to hear about the rest of the trilogy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff.
1: Nice. So, for my report this week i again inadvertently read something that had a plague in it (laughs) oh so i guess it's more of a common plot point than than you you might think think. yeah you know i was thinking about it a little bit more like that's how the secret garden opens up plague and people dying i'm like yeah stuff like that (laughs) it's just kind of used as a as a point in the story but anyways so I got a question for you. What are your thoughts on reading myths or legends?
0: I think that it's kind of along the same lines as what we were talking about. Like, those are some of the things that go the farthest back and are the most sort of like, I don't know if I'm going to be into this or if I'm going to get the references. Um, They're supposed to be pretty universal and like storytelling has made them universal. But to me, it's like kind of more of a curiosity. Like if I read, uh, you know, there's like a famous Irish one where the where the hero is like a total Superman. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't I can't really get it. Like, I think it's one of those things like in high school, I was like, oh, I could I could read these Greek myths and legends. And then when I really start to read them, I'm like, yeah, it's just like too representative or I don't understand the references. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think things like, you know, Gilgamesh, I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, Be- Beowulf, stuff like that was cool. Uh, But this week I read, like, I didn't read a myth or a legend. I read the retelling of a legend. And I think, you know, that happens a lot. Obviously, like there are a ton of stories that are, like, reshaped versions of the Odyssey. Um, Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Uh, But this week I read one of the, I guess, one of the lesser known C.S. Lewis stories. It was Mm -hmm. his last novel. Uh, which is a retelling of the Greek myth of Cupid and Psyche. Ooh. Which I believe comes from, uh, I think you mentioned this in the podcast before, which comes from The Golden Ass <laughs> by Apuleius.
0: Yeah, I've read The Golden Ass for like a college course or something.
1: Yeah, The, the Metamorphoses or The Golden Ass. Um, but so, yeah, it comes from that. It's an ancient legend. Um, what I've read this week is, is called Till We Have Faces. From C.S. Lewis. That
0: seems creepy.
1: <laughs> um, it's about well, it's a reference to like veiled faces. Mm-hmm. But so it's published in 1956. Uh, honestly, I I do sort of come and go. I I sort of like reading some myths, some legends, some stuff like that. Like I said, but I wasn't super into this one, and I think that's maybe what caused me so much trouble as far as getting the reading done this week in quarantine (laughs) like Mm -hmm. but um originally i bought this because i was intrigued by the cover it's got a just kind of it looks cool i don't know i like the the font i I probably bought this like 10 years ago or something um i think name recognition played a big part like uh i know i obviously knew c.s lewis but I've seen this title till we have faces used in other other ways. I've seen it as like song titles or album title or, you know, stuff like that. Um, but there there are parts of it that were interesting to me, but I didn't think it really needed to stretch out to novel length. Mm-hmm. And that sort of showed itself in the afterword. As the kind of entire original myth is recapped by Lewis on, on a couple pages, <laughs> like at the end, and when I've read a bunch of reviews on this, it's people recommend reading that first to get some background. So what I want to do is just read. I'm going to read that part now, just so you know, like what this uh, this myth and legend is all about. And it's called a note at the end of the book from uh, from C.S. Lewis. By the way, he wrote a short story collection called the dark tower Do you know that whoa no i yeah. did not know that i wonder what i wonder what that's about <coughs> the story of cupid and psyche first occurs in one of the few surviving latin novels the metamorphosis sometimes called the golden ass of lucius apulius platonicus who was born about 125 a.d the relevant parts are as follows A king and queen had three daughters of whom the youngest was so beautiful that men worshipped her as a goddess and neglected the worship of Venus for her sake. One result was that Psyche, as the youngest was called, had no suitors. Men reverenced her supposed deity too much to aspire to her hand. When her father consulted the Oracle of Apollo about her marriage, he received the answer, hope for no human son-in-law. You must expose Psyche on a mountain to be the prey of a dragon. This he obediently did. But Venus, jealous of Psyche's beauty, had already devised a different punishment for her. She had ordered her son Cupid to afflict the girl with an irresponsible passion for the basest of men. Cupid set off to do so, but, on seeing Psyche, fell in love with her himself. As soon as she was left on the mountain, he therefore had her carried off by the west wind, Zephyrus, to a secret place where he had had prepared a stately palace. Here he visited her by night and enjoyed her love, but he forbade her to see his face. Presently she begged that she might receive a visit from her two sisters. The god reluctantly consented and wafted them to her palace. Here they were royally feasted and expressed great delight at all the splendors they saw, but inwardly they were devoured with envy for their husbands were not gods and their houses not so fine as hers. They therefore plotted to destroy her happiness. At their next visit they persuaded her that her mysterious husband must really be a monstrous serpent. You must take into your bedroom tonight a lamp covered with a cloak and a sharp knife. When he sleeps, uncover the lamp. See the horror that is lying in your bed and stab it to death. All this the gullible psyche promised to do. When she uncovered the lamp and saw the sleeping god, she gazed on him with insatiable love till a drop of hot oil from her lamp fell on his shoulder and woke him up. Starting up, he spread his shining wings, rebuked her, and vanished from her sight. The two sisters did not long enjoy their malice, for Cupid took such measures as led both to their death. Psyche, meanwhile, wandered away, wretched and desolate, and attempted to drown herself in the first river she came to. But the god Pan frustrated her attempt and warned her never to repeat it. After many miseries, she fell into the hands of her bitterest enemy, Venus, who seized her for a slave, beat her, and set her her what were meant to be impossible tasks. The first that of sorting out seeds into separate heaps, she did by the help of some friendly ants. Next, she had to get a hank of golden wool from some man-killing sheep. A reed by a riverbank whispered to her that this could be achieved by plucking the wool off the bushes. After that, she had to fetch a cupful of water of the river Styx, which could only be reached by climbing certain impractical mountains. But an eagle met her, took the cup from her hand, and returned with it full of water. Finally, she was sent down to the lower world to bring back Venus in a box, the beauty of Persephone, the queen of the dead. A mysterious voice told her now how she could reach Persephone and yet return to our world on the way she should be asked for help by various people who seemed to deserve her pity, but she must refuse them all. And when Persephone gave her the box, she must go on no account, open the lid to look inside. Psyche mm. obeyed all this and returned to the upper world with the box. But then at last curiosity overcame her and she looked into it. She immediately lost consciousness again. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but that in itself was so much more interesting to me than, than the book that I read. Right. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very kind of glosses over these little trials and then figuring out ways around them and stuff. But this retelling of the story was kind of more, it was from the point of view of the older sister who's like not really connected to what I just read. Mm-hmm. It's the point of view of Orwal. Or, or you all? O R U A L. Not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but it makes it does make it better than a straight retelling, I guess, as far as in a creative sense. You know, it takes the original story and adds like a layer underneath. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the first 100 pages of of this book, I was seeing like really strong, a really strong connection to uh, Antigone, if you remember that. Kind Um, of, but I don't really remember it. So like this... In, in this story, like, Oriol, like, her sister is about to be sacrificed, and she, you know, she assumes that she has been sacrificed and up on top of the mountain, and she, like, wants to break curfew or op- disobey the king's rules to kind of go give her sister, like, a proper burial. And that's kind of, like, that's what happened in Antigone. Like, right, yeah. Sort of. And then, but I was feeling that as I was reading this book, and then at one point, the narrator, like, basically says, I'm going to go do an Antigone, like <laughs> basically just literally just said something like that. She's like, I'm going to be going Going to do like my an, Antigonal task or whatever. Um, but, you know, there's some good interactions in this book between like the main character and other people in the kingdom, like one of the soldiers and one of the King's like closest advisors. Um, from what I've read though, Lewis kind of thought that this was his best and most mature work um i can't really? really remember what the narnia series was like i don't remember reading it i i know that i did read it when i was younger but i don't remember like what the level of writing was uh, but this book was definitely well written do, do you remember did you ever read that i did a little bit but i always think that it's really
0: hard to trust like an author that's like this is my best work because yeah i feel like you often disagree with it
1: yeah And I don't know, it's hard when he says, like, this is my best, this was my best work, but it's also the last thing I did. Like, Well, yeah, that's, I
0: think that also happens. Like, I think the thing I'm thinking about is, like, Faulkner, like, one of the last things he wrote was this book, like, Fable. And he's like, this is my ultimate
1: achievement. And it's like, "Mm, it's not really. (laughs) Every band ever. When they're yeah. interviewed, they're like, you know, this next album, I think it's like I think it's our best album. <laughs> well it's also that's also like
0: a thing about like sales and stuff. No yeah, one yeah, no yeah, one wants to, to
1: hear yeah, no one wants to hear like, well, my other book
0: was way better, but you already own
1: that. <laughs> no, Metallica said that Saint Anger was their best album yeah at the time. Um but so so this book was definitely well written. It just didn't have that huge of an impact on me, you know. Mm-hmm. I read a lot of reviews, people loved it, you know. Um I'd say this one, it doesn't have as strong of, like, a Christian undertone as the Narnia series does, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the biggest theme of the book, the biggest theme of this book to me was, like, the power of the gods, you know. Everything with that, everything with, like, a mythical story, everything's run through the gods. And, like, the fix for the plague is to sacrifice to the gods, you know. Mm-hmm. And the main character here, like Oriwal, she's a at first an unbeliever and then she kind of witnesses her sister becoming a believer and then she's confused and bewildered because she can no longer connect and it turns into jealousy and anger and um, desperation and kind of leads her to her by the end she's you know constantly pleading with the gods and now she's suddenly like at their will but um i guess i i didn't I I didn't do a great job of summarizing the story here, but <laughs> it, it's 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 a myth, you know. Um, I guess it just wasn't the type of book for me at this time. Mm-hmm. I think I like prefer leading into like full fantasy instead of myth, right. and I'm trying to been trying to like decipher really what the distinction is there, because like is myth, you know. I don't know if myth is like something that is assumed to have been true, or it's just one way of like getting kind of a uh, moral or other type of lesson across i don't know what do you what do you think that is like just because fantasy can have like values in it too but there's a difference between like i mean myth myth is more historical of course but uh, yeah i don't know a lot of similarities
0: i think someone just kind of slaps that myth thing down when they want it to be classier yeah. You know, like, he had already written Narnia, and it turned into a thing that was, like, fantasy and, like, fun and whatever. And then he was like, I want to be serious. Could it's be. A, it's based on myth.
1: <laughs> I think he was trying to impress uh, Tolkien, one yeah. of his friends.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think also, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Whenever I hear the word myth, I just hear the beginning of the first Lord of the Rings movie when she's like legend, like history became legend, legend became myth. It's like, I don't know. I I think basically when you say myth, you're just saying like making a historical reference to like farther back than legend.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I've I've seen people um, online say that like, you know, however many thousands of years from now, people are going to think that like. People are gonna talk about or see like the Marvel movies as like the modern myths. Like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, I mean, that's like the be crazy, but I, I maybe that could actually happen.
0: Like, it could maybe. I mean, that like I don't know. That that really goes to how far you think that maybe before that happens, they'll think that the comic books were like, you know. But a mythic a mythic character, I think, is so universal that it's something more like. Don't think of, you know, Christopher Nolan's Batman as what's going to become like the representative of Batman. Think about like there's just this person called Batman that pretty much everyone knows who that is. Like a lot of people know who that is. And I think that that's how myths operate, too, where it's like there was this like creature that, you know, so many people knew about. So I don't really think it's one specific thing. I think it's something that becomes, you know, like Spider-Man.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's kind. Of, that's kind of true. But I don't know. I think I need to find uh, some other type of book to read next. I mean, not to mention, <laughs>
0: not to mention that a lot of those like Marvel and Stan Lee characters are are also just purely they are taken from myth. Like Thor, <laughs> it's like that's yeah, just yeah. already from back some then. Norse Norse mythology kind <laughs> yeah. of stuff. Yeah,
1: exactly. But that'll maybe replace that in the future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We'll see. We won't be around, but somebody will. Only time will tell. (laughs) But um, the best part of my report here is going to be my one-star review. Nice. Um, And so I'll read the review first uh, (laughs) and then tell you the name. The review is... This book is like school toilet paper. It is shallow and full of crap. Easily the worst (laughs) book I've ever read, and teachers are dumb if they try to make their students read this. I cannot emphasize enough how awful this book is. Even my teachers hate this book. Was not worth the $18 at the store from user C.S. Lewis. Oh, God. User C.S. Lewis. That's
0: great. Probably made it just to do that.
1: Yes, definitely. Amazing. There you go. And this was this review was from two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, two weeks ago. Wow. Fresh. Yeah. I know. Fresh, fresh sake right there from C.S. Lewis, the man himself. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been another episode of Shitty book Reports. You can find us every week, someday of the week. We're yeah. not gonna commit to a certain date. <laughs> We're anymore. no longer committing to Sunday because <laughs> we've been too delinquent. Nah, Sundays are played out. Yeah. Uh, but on Spotify, SoundCloud some, the days don't really matter anymore though in this yeah, that's true. Uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Instagram and Twitter at SBRThePodcast you can email us at SBRThePodcast at gmail.com send us your comments, your suggestions, your quarantine reading list uh, whatever you're feeling, your short stories alright, see you next time